Venus, known for being a planet. Famous for being planet number two in the solar system, pretty sure. Nobody thinks much about it, so let's have some fun. Let's find out why Venus is secretly incredibly fascinating. Hey there, folks. Welcome to a whole new podcast episode, a podcast all about why being alive is more interesting than people think it is. My name is Alex Schmidt, and I am not alone. My guest this week is your pal and mine, Soren Bowie, is on the podcast. The great Soren Bowie. He's here. And by here, I mean he's in Los Angeles and we're taping over Zoom. But you know what I mean. I'm so glad I get to talk to him. Soren is a writer for American Dad, the TV show on TBS, and that's a really great cartoon if you have not seen it. I don't, I don't know if everybody knows that necessarily. It's amazing. It's one of my favorite animated shows. Like, it has a lot of interesting lore and development over time and really funny jokes. It's great. Soren is also a former colleague of mine at the former workplace crack.com. And among, among many amazing things he did there, he did one of my favorite web series uh, ever made where he played an astronaut in like a, a solo situation out in space. Uh, he also wrote one of my favorite uh, articles just on the internet ever, which is about the meaning of space exploration and the history of it and how it ties into love that we feel for one another. Uh, I know that doesn't sound like a comedy article. Somehow he had great jokes alongside those great observations. Uh, It's just one of my favorite things. So whenever I think space, I think of my old buddy Soren. He has a passion for it and and, uh, really brings that into this show. Also, Soren co-hosts a podcast. It's a podcast called Quick Question with Soren and Daniel. And it's with the great Daniel O'Brien. That's that's the Daniel in there. I sort of figure you all know about that podcast. Or I am thrilled to be the bearer of the good news that Soren Bowie and Daniel O'Brien have a podcast. I, I, I really am glad that I get to tell you that. I feel very special. And if you, if you learned about me from Crack.com, you know how exciting uh, that podcast is. And also you know how exciting of a guest this is. I get to talk to Soren Bowie. I, I know him well. You know, I, I just, I'm always glad to talk to him, and I'm so glad we did this. Also, I have gathered all of our zip codes and I've used internet resources like native-land.ca to acknowledge that I recorded this on the traditional land of the Catawba, Eno, and Shikori peoples, acknowledge Soren recorded this on the traditional land of the Gabrielino or Tongva and Keech and Chumash peoples, and acknowledge that in all of our locations, native people are very much still here. That feels worth doing on each episode, and today's episode is about the planet Venus, the second one in your diorama of the solar system that you made in grade school. Some people draw a big poster. I feel like we all just find out that it exists and never think about it again. And a planet that has kind of secretly been at the center of a lot of astronomy and space exploration and history of the entire world. Uh, And it's also just real freaky. You'll hear about that right away. So please sit back or stand on like the observation platform of your Bespin Cloud City in Star Wars, because that is surprisingly relevant to today's planet. And either way, here's this episode of Secretly Incredibly Fascinating with the one and only Soren Bowie. I'll be back after we wrap up. Talk to you then. (music) 
Soren Bowie. It is so good to, to see you. As I was just saying off mic before, uh, even though we're using computer microphones, you know what I mean. Yeah, no, I can see you. I can <laughs> physically see you right now. <laughs> we're, we're doing this on a Zoom. This is actually the first podcast I've done where I get to look at the other person, which I'll tell you, I'm not going to be focusing so much on you, more just myself the entire time, <laughs> because uh, I'm always, it looks so strange in Zoom calls. Oh. I can't help but just look at myself in my room and think about what sort of information I'm giving out with each thing that I do. I also smile a lot, which I'm not too keen on. Uh, for the listener, Soren has wood to the left of him, and to the right of him is different wood. He <laughs> seems to be building a lot of things right now. <laughs> I got a lot of irons in the fire. <laughs> cool. These are going to be a bench. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then those over there were a separate project where I had to take off all those off the bottom of my bed. Uh no, you know what? I'm I'm describing things to, in a room that only you can see. This is not going to work <laughs> for a podcast. Well, you can move on. I, I let us down this path. It's working for me. Uh, on every episode of the show, I, I before we get into talking about the topic, I ask the guest what is their relationship to it or opinion of it. Uh, and with today being the planet Venus, I, I partly picked you for this one because I think of space when I think of Soren. That's... You love space. I'm just going to put that in your mouth right now. What an honor it is to be thought of along with the the likes of space. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, I I know Venus, but only through, you know, I, I mean, I knew it in like seventh grade when we had to learn about it, but then also revisited it in my son's books because I've got a five-year-old who uh, has, is very into planets. Oh. Venus just happens to be one of them. Certainly it's not his favorite. He's into Neptune, but uh, that's where all my, my new cursory knowledge comes from. I'm curious... How a five-year-old picks their favorite planet and why Neptune? Do you know? Color. Yeah, it's blue. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he likes blue. That's as simple as it gets. Blue is my favorite color to the point as a kid growing up where I like only wanted blue foods, which is basically the blue raspberry Slurpee at 7-Eleven. Like, that's it. <laughs> uh, that's what you could get. Yeah, it's blue raspberry Pop-Tarts, and and that's kind of all you could get. Car or cotton candy bubble gum, and that's it. Right, right. <laughs> uh, he also likes it a lot. But we talk about it in terms... Because we... We say how far we love each other. And so like, we'll say, that you, uh, I love you to the end of the earth. Or like, it would be like, I love you all the way to Neptune because Neptune is the furthest planet. So like, it's always a stop in that game. So he he knows it pretty well. Oh man, my, my heart just expanded. That was, that was great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you've, you've ramped up your Venus knowledge a little bit uh, for your son, but otherwise it's sort of a, it's on the list of grade school planets, which I think for me before researching that, it was also kind of that. I was like, oh yeah, it's number two. I'm smart. I know this. Yeah, I think that's pretty much all anybody, if that, that anybody knows. Um, because like, why do you, you don't need to, there's nothing in your life that changes whether you know more about the solar system. Right, <laughs> it doesn't do any it doesn't do any practical good. <laughs> yeah, th other than that, I know that there's no real relationship I have to Venus. It is it has, doesn't bother me, and I don't bother it. <laughs> right, a, a, a cool neutrality all around. There's peace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've got no problem with each other. There's no beef there. Well, on a, on every episode of the show, our first fascinating thing about the topic is a quick set of fascinating numbers and statistics in a segment called. I come from a land down number. Do 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 do. Where statistics flow and men chunder. Do 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 do. 
I I love Colin Hay. That was wonderful. <laughs> exactly right. And that name was submitted by Jonathan Momsen. We're going to have a new name for this segment every week submitted by listeners like you. Make them as silly and wacky as possible. Less good, the better. Submit your name for the numbers and statistics segment to at SIFpod on Twitter or to SIFpod at gmail.com. And yeah, that one came to us from an Australian listener. Hello, Australian listeners. I don't know that they recognize the word hello. It's good day there, I think. I have immediately burned my bridges with Australia. Oh, no. Uh, I can do an Australian accent for just one word. Ask me to ask me a question where I can say no to, Alex. <laughs> hey, Soren, do you have enough wood? No. <laughs> No. <laughs> it's like seven syllables. How did that happen? That's amazing. <laughs> That's it's a very hard one. <laughs> oh, learn stuff every day. It's great. Well, and, uh, and we have numbers and statistics that make uh, the planet Venus very fascinating. And one of them is the number 95%. Um, And that's the approximate size of Venus compared to the Earth. Venus is 95% of Earth's size. Uh, So it's it's almost as big and very similar. And then the gravity is about 90% of Earth. And that's according to Encyclopedia Britannica. Well, why are we so jazzed about Mars then? Venus sounds like it's way more, way more simple or maybe more similar to Earth than than Mars. Yeah, that's a very, that's a very perceptive, uh, like way people felt about it until they, they, Kept looking closer at it. Because, yeah, it's like uh, we've especially learned that Mars has less than half of our gravity. And so they even think that if people spent a lot of time there, they'd start to get the issues that like astronauts get on long haul space stuff where where, like your bones disintegrate and everything. Not disintegrate, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Your muscles start to atrophy and your bones, you lose all your bone density. Yeah. But Venus is uh, Earth shaped and Earth gravity ish. And I think not everybody knows that. Uh, and then from there, it gets incredibly strange in every way. Next number here is 243 Earth days. Uh, 243 Earth days is the length of one day on Venus. Uh, that's a long day. That's how it works. And also a day on Venus is longer than a year on Venus. And it's the only planet like that in the solar system. It's, as far as I know, the only planet that we've confirmed that about. Uh, a day on Venus is 243 Earth days. And a year on Venus, so of course the planet going all the way around the sun, is just 224.7 Earth days. So it's about 20 days longer of a day than a year. Okay. If that isn't a confusing way to describe it, I feel like I said the word day a hundred times. But but I think people get it. That's too long. That's too long of a day and too short of a year. Okay, I'm changing my tune on Venus. I was into <laughs> it for a second there, and now I... It's just... This is insane. Well, I I put the hospitable stat first, so I'm like I'm like a weird real estate guy who's like trying to get you to buy land, but <laughs> but don't do it. Bad idea. <laughs> I think it's just like fascinating to know that any planet can work that way, where it rotates so slowly but goes around its sun or star fast enough that the days are longer than years. Like that's not. It's just just like a, a mind warping, mind blowing concept for us here on a normal Earth. You know. Yeah, because you'd have so many seasons stacked into each other so quickly. Yeah, I don't know. it would be complicated to live there, I think. I'm deciding now. <laughs> uh, next number is 90 times higher than Earth. Okay. Nine, nine zero, 90 times. And that is the air pressure on Venus. Uh, so the air pressure is Earth air pressure times 90. That means, according to space.com, that means that the air pressure on Venus is about the same as the water pressure on Earth about half a mile or one kilometer under the ocean. Oof. Wait, can I even survive that? Or would it just crush my skull? 
Yeah, any any of us would just get like exploded oh. uh, pretty quickly. Yeah, I, I think we'd have to be in some kind of submarine type craft. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I want, I want one of those big steel suits that they used to go to the bottom of the ocean in that like Cuba Gooden Jr. had to wear in that one movie and walk across a courtroom. Oh. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Is it like it's not a diving bell, but it's like the the big rounded tubey thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the weird. <laughs> yeah, I want one of those. Like that one Bioshock guy. That's a gaming reference, yes, right? It's that guy. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the movie SpongeBob SquarePants, the antagonist in that. Oh yeah, who comes and collects them? Basically, all of them should meet up on Venus and leave us alone, right? Get out of here. <laughs> yeah. And then the last thing to remember statistically about Venus, and also for your suit, um, the number here is 870 degrees Fahrenheit uh, or 470 degrees Celsius. Those are those are positive. 870 Fahrenheit, 470 Celsius. Uh, that's a normal temperature on Venus. Uh, according to space.com, they talked to Sue Smrekar, who is a scientist at JPL, the NASA Jet Propulsion Laboratory, and she said, quote, the surface is hot enough to melt lead. So don't bring your lead unless you want it to be all goopy, you know? We've landed stuff there, right? And we didn't, it didn't immediately melt? Yeah, I'm, we have landed it mostly in the sense that the Soviets did. Oh, okay. Uh, and it, it doesn't last very long. We, I mean humanity. Yeah, yeah. We're all on the same team on this little rock. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it's a weird planet because like anything past the asteroid belt, it's mostly gas planets, you know, and, and you think of them as just, oh, it's, it's a useless ball of gas. But Venus is solid. We could do so much. And no, it's horrible. Nothing. <laughs> uh, it's it's really crazy. <laughs> All right, Ona, you've talked me out of Venus. Let's get back to Mars. It goes the wrong way too, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I should mention that with the the days and years thing. Yeah, it goes. It rotates the opposite direction of Earth and many other planets. It's dumb, dumb. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of like Australia with the toilets or whatever, it's it's <laughs> it's like that. It's crazy. <laughs> This is a Venus and Australia podcast, uh, really rapidly. That's what it's becoming. <laughs> I have no problem with that. We'll find the similarities. I'm sure there are a lot. Yeah, yeah. It's very hot, <laughs> rocky. Hot, rocky, yeah. Uh, uh, far away. <laughs> yeah. Well, and in terms of the uh, difficulty of being on Venus, that takes us into our first takeaway of the episode. Takeaway number one. <laughs> Venus is covered in hell clouds. <laughs> That's my term for them. Uh, no scientist says that, but uh, they are like the worst clouds I can imagine are the entire atmosphere and sky of Venus all of the time. That's what's going on. What are they made of? So they're uh, they're made of sulfuric acid. Oh, I was afraid of that. <laughs> Anything else i would have been fine, but I just don't like it. I don't like sulfuric acid. doesn't agree with me. <laughs> Is it? Because I did not take a ton of chemistry in school. So when I hear sulfuric acid, I think of like villains and spy movies dumping it on people or some other kind of like cartoony kind of use of it. But that's that's my main association with it is you don't want to be around it that way. Yeah, it, it would burn you instantly, burn your skin. And then it also, it doesn't smell too nice, Alex. <laughs> the sulfur aspect of it makes it not smell great. Yeah, it is H2SO4. So there's four whole oxygens in there, but it's not good in spite of that. And yeah, it absorbs water and reacts to water and human exposure to almost any quantity of it is is dangerous, if not fatal. Uh, and that's what the clouds surrounding the entire planet of Venus are made of. They're thick and opaque, and they make it so that Earth-based astronomers have never been able to see the surface of Venus with telescopes. Uh, they had to send, you know, like space probes and other craft like that in order to see the surface at all. That must have been so exciting. I could just picture like wanting to see a planet like that, knowing that you only have perpetual storms around it and thinking, 
we got to see what's underneath. And like the day that it happens and you get the, whatever your little rover is or whatever lands on the surface to take pictures of it. And you get those back after the 16 hour wait or whatever it is. And then you're like, Oh f- it's rocks. It's just rocks. <laughs> we did, we did all that for rocks. <laughs> right. Rocks and hell clouds. And that's it. Like that's all <laughs> we, uh, one source for this is it's, a uh, another podcast It's called in our time. They had a Cambridge, Oxford and university of college, London experts all on, and they talked about how if you're on the surface of Venus, it would probably just look kind of orange all the time. Yeah. Mainly because of when light gets through these clouds, that's how it looks like like an orangey yellow color everywhere. You Not couldn't fun. even you couldn't even terraform something like that because you can't add water to it because the sulfuric acid just fucks up the water. Like I bet does did Venus ever have water? Do they know? Yeah. Man, you would be you'd be a good Venus scientist. These are all the questions. <laughs> These are the important things. <laughs> Venus is freaky uh, a lot because of its clouds because they uh, trap enough heat to create what's called a runaway greenhouse effect. And so the theory is that Venus did used to have water and uh, partly because it spins so slowly, but also partly because carbon dioxide built up in the atmosphere, uh, almost all of the water just uh, got like wiped off of the planet. There's a tiny bit of water vapor in the atmosphere, but their atmosphere is 96% carbon dioxide. Earth's atmosphere is way less than 1% carbon dioxide, and we're concerned about it. So Venus's is 96%, and that's why it's insanely hot and, and probably wiped out any oceans it used to have. Oh, man. What a bummer. It had such potential. Yeah. (laughs) Like astronomers couldn't see the surface, so they just put a bunch of hopes on it because they're like, oh, it's the size of Earth and it's covered in clouds. Like it must be some rainforest planet that'll be full of like amazing soil and like cool animals I can ride and it's going to be the best. (laughs) And then they get there and it's it's just like burning. (laughs) It's a really hard place to be. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They're like, all right, well, what's next? Let's find something else. Let's find another planet. What's gazelle 525 doing <laughs> yeah right like like completely as far away as possible where venus is the closest planet to us and then we had to be like ah no hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. no uh, good no good we'll move on <laughs> and there's also there's like a cool strain of science fiction writing like i think i think the first fiction i read with venus was these ray bradbury stories where it was right before probes in the 1960s showed us that it was all rocky and terrible so he would write these stories where it's just there are people on it, and it's this endless rainforest, endless rainfall planet. Uh, and the rain sort of makes them insane psychologically in the story. Yeah. But it's like otherwise yeah. nice. It's good. You what's, know? That, what's that called? Uh, oh, dang it. I have to link it. I think it might just be called The Long Rain or something. It's, um, the, and yeah, it rains perpetually, and there's one guy who gets so mad from it that he just puts his mouth, he opens his mouth and puts it up towards the sky and decides to drown himself. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that story. Yeah, and so that was what humanity was like hoping. Not the not the uh, going psycho part, but the oh, it'll just be this lush planet, and instead it's clouds of sulfuric acid. And then also, it does rain on Venus, but the rain is sulfuric acid. And then also, it evaporates before it ever gets to the ground because the planet is so hot. So the clouds are just raining acid inside themselves all of the time, which is very scary to think about. This is sort of how I pictured like Doom is how I'm picturing it. When I used to play that game. Oh. You familiar with it? Yeah, like the whole landscape is just a, a bad color and, and kind of freaky. Yeah, it's all it all looks wrong. It's all kind of this like hazy yellow. I, I mean, granted, I'd be pretty pumped to find so much life that they have in Doom. But <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's just, it looks like hell. It's just hell. <laughs> what if NASA was like, so the probe found life, it's all demons. Um, 
<laughs> I don't know if anyone's excited or not or, or what, but yeah. Uh, it doesn't look like they can get off the planet, which is good, but do we want to go? <laughs> our, our top experts are working on level four. Uh, there's a really hard... There, I see the body armor, but I don't get to it. Anyway, that's NASA for you. That's what we're doing. Um. I don't know if it's helpful. We found a trap door behind what seems to be a Nazi flag. I don't know if that's like a holdout from Wolfenstein. It's very strange. <laughs> see, that, that's the thing. If we do find a planet like that, we send the robot Hitler because clearly he's comfortable <laughs> there. Like Then we have a use for him. Fine. Right. Put chain gun hands Hitler on that planet and see if he can terraform <laughs> yeah. for us. <laughs> and also uh, with these clouds, there are there are more ways they're crazy. Um, one of them is that they move. Uh, so this is this very slow spinning planet, Venus, but the clouds move incredibly fast. Uh, according to Universe Today, the top layer of the clouds reach a speed of 355 kilometers per hour, which is the same speed as the jet stream on Earth. And then as you get lower, there's this middle layer where they reach speeds of more than 700 kilometers per hour which is faster than the fastest tornado ever recorded on Earth. Like it's faster than that all of the time, just whipping in circles around the planet. You know what they don't have, though? Avalanches. So there's a plus. <laughs> there's one natural disaster they don't get. Do they have earthquakes? Probably not. I think you're really focusing on the negative here. I hope. I was hoping you were doing like Colorado or California Pride, where you're like, well, I've been through some stuff, too, so <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I'm look, I've come from the school of hard knocks too, Venus. Get out of here, Venus. Get out of here, you dumb morning star. Nobody gives a shit about you. And then also with the clouds, so there's also two new things we discovered about the clouds uh that, that are recent findings about why they're crazy. And one of them is that we just found a lower layer of the cloud that is like a super cloud in the sense that it's four thousand six hundred and sixty miles long which is about 7,500 kilometers. Uh, and it zooms across the surface of the planet at 203 miles per hour or 328 kilometers. Uh, and so it's, and it's also been there since at least 1983, according to scientists. So based on recent probes and recent studies, like we knew about the bad clouds and then the worst clouds in the middle. And now there's this lower layer of cloud that's just one giant mass uh, and like extra sweeping Jesus. across the whole surface of the planet. Okay, so uh, is sulfuric acid flowing? Where is that? Which cloud is making the sulfuric acid? The top one? <laughs> they they're all made of it. No, oh, um, perfect. But in particular, the like in particular, the middle one is full of it. Basically, the entire atmosphere of Venus is like carbon dioxide gas and then sulfuric acid clouds. That's basically all of the material there, uh, and it's not a not a great space for like a human. But none of us are there, so I guess it's okay. I can do what it wants. <laughs> it's nice to see from a distance. <laughs> One more thing about these clouds is that there is a uh, a pretty recent study, and also it fits in with just general theories people have had before, suggesting that the clouds of Venus might be uh, might have like alien microbe life in them, Whoa. Uh, and possibly a whole lot, which is cool and also kind of like I guess on some level freaky if you're scared of alien germs. Well, that's very cool. The there could be life in the clouds of Venus. Yeah, so there's uh, there was first just like the theoretical way, uh, according to Andrew Coates, University College London, who was on the In Our Time podcast. 
like if you get high enough in the layers of the clouds, the temperature is not too bad and the air pressure is not too bad. And there's a tiny bit of water up there. So there could be like extremophile bacteria, like kind of like how there's extreme bacteria in the vents of the oceans or other other kind of hard places to be. And then there was a study in uh, 2018 in the journal Astrobiology that said that we see a lot of um, like fluctuating color and shade appearance in the clouds. Um, and one thing that could explain it is just massive amounts of airborne germ life. Uh, just which I read as meaning just like seas of it up there, uh, which would be pretty freaky. But when we observe the clouds, we see like changing shapes and colors, and that could be one reason. Oh, interesting. That's fascinating. Yeah. You know what you should do? You should have those people from Oxford and Cambridge on this show and doing this. Not me. <laughs> I don't, I am not helpful. <laughs> well, I, I was going to book the germs, but they were busy. <laughs> Uh, orbiting Venus or whatever. And so, you know, we're doing what we can. Yeah. They will. You got to feel bad for them. They've got long days over there. Their Google calendar is just germ. Like, it's just pillars of that every day. It's not. For 247 hours or whatever it is. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, it's just this huge. Uh, it wouldn't make any sense as a Google calendar. Don't even try to build a Google. You need to, yeah, you need a whole new design. Silly. <laughs> Well, and uh, uh, one more thing about the clouds that brings us into takeaway, too. The, the thing is that Venus's clouds reflect away more than half of the sun's light. Uh, so less than half of the sun's light even gets down to the surface because the clouds are so thick and so reflective, which brings us to takeaway number two. Venus sparked the science of astronomy with bad consequences for an entire continent, led to uh, real tough stuff in the region of Australia in particular. Oh, we're back on Australia. Jesus Christ. Okay. It's I, it's on my mind. It's, uh, yeah, this is a very Australia show. Oh, okay. So how did it destroy Australia? I don't understand. I made that kind of a long takeaway. Let's start with, uh, there's kind of two things here. There's like ancient astronomy, and then there's the, uh, the race to see the transit of Venus, which is going to be the thing that ends up messing with Australia. The thing with Venus being uh, fun to early astronomers is that you can see it without a telescope, and you can also see it during the day because it's very, very bright. And also, since it's a planet that's close to us, it's often in the sky. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of early astronomers were like, one thing I know is that I keep seeing this bright thing that I'll call the morning star and the evening star yeah. when it's actually a planet. And not, not two different stars, you dumb Greeks. <laughs> that was a thing in my son's book. It was like the, the dumb Greeks thought that there was an evening star and then a different morning star. And I realized it was just going around the other side of our planet. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I also, I'm, I'm excited that children's books are teaching kids that the Greeks were dumb. Because, yeah, they, <laughs> yeah. They, they thought there were four elements. They were idiots. Good. Yeah. Admittedly, a new take. <laughs> we, uh, Athens, not the birthplace of thought, after all. <laughs> Pretty dumb, everybody there. Just imagining just like a children's history book, like Athens, city of morons. And then like you, you open it up and it's just dunking on all of them. Like Pericles, no good ideas. Everybody thought this Socrates guy was so smart. That dummy ate hemlock. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody knows you don't eat hemlock. Yeah, bad for you. Come on. <laughs> Stuff will kill you. Next thing here is a big trumpet sound for a big takeaway. Before that, we're going to take a little break. We'll be right back. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. 
hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! It's hard to explain what happens on Jordan Jesse Go. So, I had my kids do it. Saying swear words. Saying swear words. Yeah, um, bad jokes. Bad jokes? Bad jokes. Maybe it's like you tell people that you're going to interview them, and then you just stay there like like really quiet and try and creep them out. <laughs> it's just really boring. Because of Jordan, right? Not me. Because of both of you. Oh. Subscribe to Jordan Jesse Go, a comedy show for grown-ups. Yeah, and so that that's all exactly right. And they uh, there's a thing where Venus and just you, a person, can observe this. Venus has two phases, sort of like the moon has a bunch of phases where it's waxing and waning and, and full and new and so on. Um, Venus has one phase where it appears in the morning sky and another phase where it appears in the evening sky. And so that's why uh, its name is pretty ancient, because the phases each last about nine and a half months. Uh, and so the Romans named it after Venus, the goddess of love, because that cycle sort of matches human pregnancy. Whoa. Uh, like that nine and a half month cycle of being morning or evening. And then the Sumerians also associated it with Ishtar, which was their love goddess. Like a lot of cultures, not all of them, but a lot of cultures said, uh, there's like a pregnancy element to this morning evening star thing. We're going to do that. That's very cool. Well, I, didn't, I had no idea. That's why they named it after uh, Venus. Yeah, and we're, and we're getting that also from in our time, yeah, is this uh, this general thing. And it's not universal, but it is way smarter than I expected a planet name to be. I yeah. usually just figure they're kind of random and based on who who the big gods were, you know? Right, they just pointed all the heavies, and they're like, all right, you get to be that one, you get to be that one. Because um, in the, the Greeks, they that morning star, they called it uh, Lightbringer, but when it's translated... That whatever that ancient Greek is translated to Latin. This is also my son's book, by the way, which makes it sound like it's like this very smart book. It's not. <laughs> uh, that means Lucifer. That was what the Greeks called it. Yeah, a lot of a lot of this stuff just sort of filters down to us in the present, and then we're like, I don't know, that's what it's called. Yeah, but they were, but they're like, no, I thought it through. It was a whole deal. Yeah. <laughs> Sure you did. It's fine. Nobody cares. We're not going there. We already know that. Call it whatever you want. And then uh, in, in other cultures, too, Venus was something they either uh, observed or prioritized. Um, in ancient Chinese astronomy, Venus was called the golden planet of the metal element. Uh, and then in Mayan astronomy, uh, the cycles of it were tracked very extensively in almanacs. And according to the New York Times, if you go to Chichen Itza and look at an observatory there that's been called El Caracol, um, it has a bunch of sight lines designed specifically just to observe Venus. Like that's the whole point of parts of the structure. There's even a, a, there was a paper in 2007 by Ray Norris, who's a researcher at CSIRO, which is Australia's National Science Agency. And he says the y'all knew people of Australia called Venus Banumbir and had a belief that it is a goddess who came across the sea during the dreaming. And then they tracked Venus's cycles well enough to hold morning star ceremonies when it would first kind of reappear in its new cycle. 
So they're they're all points of the world. People are like, I can see that. I can calculate it. Let's do it. Uh, like long before we had lenses or any of the other uh, fancy telescope stuff. It's objectively the second coolest thing in the sky at night. I mean, there's the moon, which is very cool and fun. Yeah. But Venus is definitely the the next because it's so bright all the time. Yeah. It, you can't look at the sky without being like, oh, <laughs> what's that one? <laughs> so I get it. I get why every single culture has a thing for it. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's what's interesting to me is not only that they were like, they didn't just assign some mythology to it. They're like, hey, there's a crazy thing. Here's a good story about it. They were they did that, but then they were also like, but also let's just track this thing and see what it does. <laughs> like they, there was like some real science to every single portion of it where they're like, okay, yeah, this is the goddess of birth, all that good stuff. But also we, we need to know how long it's in the sky for because like there's got to be some predictability here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and that was early astronomy. It's very it's very exciting that they were doing that. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah, it's a really cool commitment to like actually figuring it out it's also a one one source i drew on here they just pointed out the general obvious thing that they had way less light pollution than we do so also it was just easier oh. for people to see venus and see everything else in the sky yeah. like you, you had a much more interesting night sky to look at maybe that's why so when i said earlier that it's the second most interesting thing in the sky i live in los angeles and it's one of maybe five things in the sky at night <laughs> so yeah it's like number two on a list of five I guess other people had like the Milky Way to look at and things like the big clouds of stars above them. I guess that would have been more exciting. You're like, well, you got the moon, Venus, the Hollywood sign. Uh, you got you got those like beams of light over a premiere in a cartoon. Yeah, no, I, there's not a lot to see here. There's a lot of planes, a lot of helicopters. I can offer you a lot of information on those. Should we talk about that instead? That reminds me of a very... Uh, it's my favorite story about the brightness of Venus, because now that we've researched that, I, I have this. There was a time in 2012 where there was an Air Canada pilot um, who was flying over the Atlantic, and apparently he was sleepy and apparently not paying very close attention, and he mistook Venus for an aircraft. Uh, so he was flying his Air Canada plane. He saw Venus. He thought, that is an oncoming aircraft. And, and they like dove toward the ocean to try to avoid it and like took evasive action. And he was radioing in like, what do I do about this light that's coming toward us? But it was just a sleepy pilot. And uh, apparently 16 passengers and crew were injured. And they had to uh, like like do a lot of paperwork and figuring it out afterward. He just mistook the very bright planet of Venus for a whole other plane. <laughs> what a great realization that must have been later when they actually did all the research and everything. Like, okay, well, let's try and figure out what it was. Okay, I think we've, we've landed on what it is. It's a planet. And he was like, oh, yeah, now that you mention it. <laughs> that, it was sort of planet-like. <laughs> How is everybody? Are they okay? <laughs> I thought it was a plane with clouds all over it. What? Okay. <laughs> but and so uh, so Venus has this like central place in all of astronomy. And then there's one uh, exciting story that then ends up having a lot of world consequences, where um, there's a an astronomical phenomenon that Venus does that the entire world tried to measure, because uh, there's something called the transit of Venus. Uh, and the most recent one was in 2012. I'm realizing that I, I don't think I took the time to see it. Have you heard of the like the transit of Venus? No. So that is when it's like it's purely an Earth perspective thing, but it's when uh, the Sun and Venus and Earth line up in a way where it looks like you can see a little dot going across the front of the Sun if you look at it safely, and that's Venus like crossing our view of the Sun uh, during the day or night or whenever. It's like a cute little eclipse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess that's kind of cool. 
<laughs> I'm just I mean we have such great eclipses we've got a moon Venus you wouldn't know anything about that but we have a moon here you see Venus doesn't have any moons right and it does not have any moons yeah it's just out there <laughs> you <zone>. dumb Venus <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're like of course it doesn't idiot yeah um <laughs> So yeah, so the transit of Venus has always been happening because just the way the orbits line up and everything, it happens once in a while. Um, it's also on a really weird frequency where um, Venus and Earth's orbits are sort of on different angles. And so long story short, we'll get a transit of Venus twice eight years apart. So there'll be a time, for instance, uh, we had one in 2004 and then we had one in 2012. Like that was the pair of them. Um, but after that pair, it doesn't happen again for at least 100 years. Oh. Uh, so the next transit of Venus is in the year 2117. And if you're if you're listening to this then, go check it out. Oh, good job. Uh, <laughs> but so it's a very, very rare phenomenon. And uh, it was first seen by Europeans in like a science-y era in 1639. Uh, the astronomer Jeremiah Horrocks observed one in England. And then in 1716, the British astronomer Edmund Halley, who's like, you know, Halley's Comet and everything, he wrote a 10-page essay and he wrote it in Latin because he wanted to reach as many people as he could. And I guess that was the move in 1716. You're like, oh, everyone studied Latin in Europe. We'll do that. But he wrote an essay that said, like, look, I calculated the next one. It's in 1761. And then there's another one eight years later. We need to make sure to see that from as many places on the Earth as possible. Because if we put all those calculations together, we can figure out exciting stuff like how far the Earth is from the sun and where we are in the universe. And like, it'll be an amazing finding. But we need to like hurry up and put people everywhere, you know, 40 or so years from now uh, to do this. And Haley like knew he would be 104 years old when that happens. So on his deathbed, he was like, I really hope this transit of Venus thing works out. I worked really hard to like get people going for it. Uh, and then a bunch of European countries worked together to send astronomers to as many distant corners of the world as they could. That's awesome. That yeah. everybody, like all, I know certainly a lot of those countries did not like each other, that they're all kind of working together to be like, dude, this is for a higher purpose. We're, we're going to learn about something bigger than ourselves here. So we have to work together. That's like when the, the good guys have to team up with the bad guy. I love it. <laughs> Yeah, it was. It was teamwork and also competitive. Uh, and a lot of this is coming from a book called Chasing Venus, The Race to Measure the Heavens by Andrea Wolfe, who's a, a British writer and design historian. But in particular, the uh, British like uh, government and science community really got going on sending people to do it because they found out the French were doing it. Like they didn't like each other. And so that's why they bothered. It was like, oh, well, if the French are doing it, we have to beat them, you know? Oh. And it was also, she describes it also as a situation where like, these countries are, uh, they don't like each other. They don't speak the same language. They're often at war with each other. Like in the 1760s when this happened, like Britain and France fought a bunch of wars, but they also worked together on this thing. And she also says their systems of measurement also didn't even match most of the time. Like uh, England, Germany, Austria, Norway all had different units for what they called a mile. And then France had such a complicated measurement system that different French towns measured things differently from each other. So it was really hard for the world to work together. They didn't have the the metric and America thing we have now. That's awesome. That's yeah. very cool. Uh, I had no idea. And but somehow it Australia, huh? Yeah. And so then the the trouble is, uh, 
so what ended up happening is the there's that pair every eight years of two of them. Uh, the 1761 observations, they kind of did okay. And then they were like, 1769, we got to nail it. Like, this is the one. And observers from five different countries observed it from Europe, North America, India, and Tahiti, and got a pretty good measurement of how far the Earth is from the sun. The Tahiti measurement came from Captain James Cook, uh, who was a famous British like sea explorer. And his first major voyage was not to explore the South Pacific. It was to go see the transit of Venus from the South Pacific. And then, like, if you get around to it, please see if there are any continents down here. Uh, and then he established British Empire contact with Tahiti, Eastern Australia, and New Zealand. Right. Uh, and then just all of imperialism happened from there uh, to those oh, places. South Pacific. Oh, wow. So that was originally just to see Venus cross in front of the sun. Yeah. I was just amazed that that was that the whole reason that Australia became like this exile for Europeans and the British uh, prisoners was because of Venus. And I, I especially being American, I just sort of assumed that the explorers were mainly trying to find land. But this voyage that led the British Empire to uh, be the first Europeans to come to Australia in particular was for astronomy stuff, like to figure out how close we are to the sun. God, that's fascinating. I have nothing to add other than to say that that's really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but and uh, so uh, hello again to our Australian listeners. Keep featuring you today. Uh, that was a lot of the story of that place. And we're also going to link an article called Captain Cook Wanted to Introduce British Justice to Indigenous People. Instead, he became increasingly cruel and violent by Shino Kanishi, Australian Research Council Research Fellow at the University of Western Australia. Because uh, cause James Cook is, has like statues, but he shouldn't. He's a bad guy. Yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's kind of a problematic history. Yeah. And from there, we'll go into the final takeaway of the main episode. Takeaway number three. <laughs> Venus exploration might be the all-time greatest success of the Soviet space program. Wait, so, th okay. They put a lot of their energy into exploring Venus? Never knew this until I was looking into what's going on with the planet Venus. That, like, there are, the Soviets are famous for Sputnik and, and first person in space and things, but they did an amazing amount of work exploring Venus uh, for, like, the rest of humanity. When, when did they do this? From 1961 all the way to 1983, so 22 years there, uh, the Soviet Union sent 16 probe missions to Venus. Uh, it was called the Venera program. Venera is just the Russian word for Venus. Uh, and it was some really cutting-edge and relatively impressive space probe work, especially because Venus is such a horrible place for anything to be, including a probe. <laughs> So they must have just melted a bunch of sh stuff on the way <laughs> that they, yeah. Yeah. Stuff that, did, that they like spent years trying to get. I just, do we know how long it takes to get anything to Venus? Do you have that just like off the top of your head? Must be about as long as Mars, right? So with, I know that with current NASA rocket technology, it takes about a hundred days to get something to Venus, especially because the sun's gravity pulls you toward it. Oh. Um, so their, their rockets weren't as good then, but it's still relatively fast. Yeah, and that's it's faster quick. than Mars. That's really fast. That's faster than I thought it would be. Yeah. And then, yeah, so I'm sure that the first things that they sent there, they sent it through the clouds and they just got nuked and they were like, okay, well... <laughs> Let's build something else. Let's see. What, what, nickel, maybe? Does, does nickel have a higher melting point? <laughs> <laughs> I, it's been hard to find exact sourcing on precisely why the Soviets were so excited about exploring Venus, but it has to be that optimism we were talking about before of, oh, it's covered in clouds and it's earth-shaped and, well, I can't wait to find this wonderful garden. And, and they didn't find it, but they're a lot of why we know it's not that. 
uh, at all. Oh, they good did for it. them. That, I guess we, I begrudgingly salute them. <laughs> I, I just precede us into this being a pro-Soviet podcast. Like, thank you, comrade. Exactly. Uh, folks, <laughs> Stalin was good and <laughs> did no famines. Um, really awesome. <laughs> yeah. So the takeaway is Stalin, not as bad as you thought he was. <laughs> You owe him a thank you. Yeah, and so they had 16 missions, and there were a couple key ones. There was one called Venera 4 that was the first Earth spacecraft ever to return data from inside another planet's atmosphere. So in 1967, it immediately found how crazy Venus is below the atmosphere, uh, and well, inside it. And then uh, the probe Venera 8 was able to survive on the surface of Venus for almost an hour, withstanding crushing pressure 92 times stronger than Earth's surface. Uh, and then we got our first ever pictures of Venus's surface uh, in black and white from Venera 9 and 10, and then also in color from Venera 13. This, this was like a pretty effective program for showing us exactly what's going on there and, and why we shouldn't go. Uh, you sent me the pictures, and I looked at them, and I'm going to say not much to write home about. It's sort of a rectangle picture of rocks, and that's what's going on. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what to equate it to. It just looks like maybe like Death Valley. <laughs> like if you're just going to look at the ground on Death Valley. And it is also, when I think of probes or rovers or something going to a planet, I think of those Mars rovers. Yeah. And when, when NASA sends them, it's a lot of, oh, the rover's still going for a few more weeks. That's pretty cool. And all these Venus probes, it's like, we have a few minutes. Like snap, snap, snap. <laughs> Crushed. That's it. <laughs> Alex, I have... Uh, something for you. Oh, a while back, the uh, unsinkable Robert Brockway did an article on Cracked, a website where you and I used to work a long time ago. That was about the sounds of planets, the sounds that they make. And I went back and listened to the sound that Venus makes, and I was like, oh, "My son has a toy that makes that same sound." And so I, I brought it with me, and I can play it for you. This, this is thrilling. It's Let's do it and listen to the noise it makes. That's almost like identical to how Venus sounds. <laughs> it sounds like you're something's about to leap out of the shadows and kill you. Yeah. At every single moment. It's just like these like tense strings and like it's on an ominous noise. <laughs> if I remember right, at, at least a few of those space sounds were also creepy like that. Like I guess space just sounds creepy. But this also contributes to my belief that like Venus is like if a planet was a monster. That's... Like if just an entire planet we had fangs and yeah. teeth and scary winds like that's it <laughs> yeah you had to wonder how many times the russian scientists were just like let's just like give up on this one don't go stop sending stuff there we don't want it to know we exist <laughs> <laughs> right as soon as it finds out it's gonna just come by and like, oh boy okay well and also with what the the rest of the soviet space program was like i feel like they're underrated for this venus stuff and overrated for almost everything else because, like, they, they have a lot of firsts, but it's a lot of stuff that the U.S. did, like, immediately after them and was just getting around to, you know. Uh, and they let a lot of cosmonauts die because they're not a, a nice government and they kept a lot of things secret from their own public. Like, it's not, it's not a great program to me. But this Venus thing they did on the side nobody knows about is great. Really good work. Yeah. When it wasn't jeopardizing human life, it turns out that, like, they're <laughs> doing some really good work out there. <laughs> right. It's little, yeah. With without the death part, they really they can really get down to it. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> when they were leaving cosmonauts out in the middle of the Siberian wilderness to be eaten by wolves when they crash landed, then it's, you know, 
you look past that. Some really great Venus work, honestly. <laughs> Man, yeah, now I just want to link people to that gun that they brought for when they land and no one can help them. And the yeah. animals come to try to eat them. That's a real thing. Yeah, yeah they had an actual, there was a, a, a space-issued gun <laughs> that they had. Yeah. And also, as far as, uh, I think it's really great that anybody explored Venus and if the Soviets were the ones to do it good because uh, also there's a few things we'll link about the importance of studying Venus in general uh, because for one thing according to Paul Sutter uh, who writes for space.com he describes Venus as like prototypical of greenhouse gases getting out of control and so there might be instructive lessons for you know Earth another planet that has greenhouse gases and it's also uh, something that's useful for finding out if there are other Earth-like planets out there, because according to Carolyn Crawford at Cambridge, um, Venus teaches us that a superficially Earth-like planet can be extremely unlike Earth. And so that's very that's a very helpful lesson for looking at stuff that's extremely far away. Like if it because it could be like Venus where it's the same size and it has clouds, or some other like little things that are like Earth. But then when you get down to it, it's crazy. And it's it's a whole other thing. Yeah, those Goldilocks planets aren't all they're cracked up to be. Yeah. I feel like you could do a lot of work for avoiding global warming on our planet if we could just convince the Russians to send like an oil barrel up there and plant it. <laughs> just put it out there halfway in the ground and then send it uh, some something that could take pictures and be like, oh, oh man, there was like a whole society here. They must have done this. Look, greenhouse gases got out of control here. They killed everything. We got it. We can't become Venus. <laughs> I could go a long way. Just totally fraudulent evidence. I'm dumb enough to believe it. (laughs) Yeah. If I'm dumb enough, I'd I'd fall for that. I'd be like, oh, yeah, we got to do something. I got to start recycling more. (laughs) The the planet is covered in Republican politician skeletons. I don't know why, but (laughs) it's something instructive for the rest of us. That's what I think. (laughs) Totally unfair. Doable. That's all I'm saying. Folks, that is the main episode for this week. My thanks to Soren Bowie for being all kinds of things, including being so fun on this podcast. Also, I said that's the main episode because there is more secretly incredibly fascinating stuff available to you right now. If you support this show on Patreon.com. Patrons get a bonus show every week where we explore one obviously incredibly fascinating story related to the main episode. This week's bonus topic... NASA Project Havoc. Let me say that one more time. There is something called NASA Project Havoc. That is a real NASA idea. Visit sifpod.fun to hear about what the heck that might be and back this entire podcast operation. And thank you for exploring the planet Venus with us. I use I use that verb exploring in the in this thank you every time and it feels extra epic with a whole planet. Anyway, here's one more run through the big takeaways. Takeaway number one, Venus is covered in hell clouds. Takeaway number two, Venus sparked the science of astronomy with horrific consequences for an entire continent, specifically Oceania. And takeaway number three, Venus exploration might be the all-time greatest success of the Soviet space program. Those are the takeaways. Also, please follow our guest. 
Soren Bowie writes for American Dad, and that is on TBS in the United States. It airs on Mondays at 10, 9 central, and it's very funny. Please watch it. There are new episodes going on right now uh, when this podcast drops, like that same Monday. And then, holy cow, Soren Bowie co-hosts a podcast with Daniel O'Brien every week. It's called Quick Question with Soren and Daniel. It is very fun and warm, and it is just a nice place to be. Search that name, Quick Question with Soren and Daniel, in your podcast app. There's also a link to it in the links for this podcast episode at sifpod.fun. Many research sources this week. Here are some key ones. A great article from Scientific American. It's called The Other Red Planet, How the Soviet Union Scored an Interplanetary First at Venus 45 Years Ago. And that's by Rachel Kaufman. An amazing British radio show. It is called In Our Time. It's a BBC radio production, and then it's distributed free worldwide as a podcast. And their episode about Venus featured three experts, Carolyn Crawford of Cambridge, Colin Wilson of Oxford, and Andrew Coates of University College London. And then, of course, like all episodes of that show, it was hosted by Melvin Bragg. And then one more source I really want to highlight because it is an amazing breakdown of the actions of Captain James Cook and the ramifications of James Cook for an entire area of the world, Australia, New Zealand, lots more of the South Pacific, and eventually the Hawaiian Islands. It's an article called Captain Cook Wanted to Introduce British Justice to Indigenous People. Instead, he became increasingly cruel and violent. It is by Shino Kanishi, who is an Australian Research Council Research Fellow at the University of Western Australia. That's an article that we did not get into the details of on the show, uh, at least partly because a lot of the details are grisly. Um, James Cook committed some pretty atrocious acts, very on purpose in his life. And so uh, I, I almost don't wanna burden you with that unless you're in like a space to hear it. Uh, but the link is there to find out more about this figure that uh, is seen as a Columbus type uh, in all of the senses. So I highly recommend that and all the rest of our sources this week. Find those and more sources in this episode's links at sifpod.fun. And beyond all that, our theme music is Unbroken Unshaven by the Budos Band. The Budos Band's next album is called Long in the Tooth. It releases October 9th, and you can get your copy at daptonerecords.com. Our show logo is by artist Burton Durand. See more of Bert's art on Instagram at Burt Durand. Special thanks to Chris Souza for audio mastering on this episode. Special thanks also to Soren Bowie for like a whole lot of things, uh, especially in these past couple months, because uh, I mean, they've been hard on everyone in all kinds of different ways. I've had a great deal going on the last few months. Soren has also had a great deal going on the last few months, uh, and he's still found the time to uh, kind of help me process a lot of things that have happened, uh, especially professionally. He didn't have to do that, uh, but he's the kind of guy who would, and so I'm, I'm really grateful to him for it. Um, and extra, extra special thanks go to our patrons. I hope you'll love this week's bonus show. And thank you to all our listeners. I'm thrilled to say we will be back next week with more Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. So how about that? Talk to you then. <laughs>